Everybody go ahead and lift your hands and declare the matchless name of Jesus tonight. Somebody lift your hands and shout the only saving name tonight. Somebody go ahead and open your mouth and declare the name that makes demons tremble. Woo! Anybody happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? I know you already shook everybody's hand, but why don't you high-five about five or six people standing next to you. Tell them, I feel the presence of God in this house tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to the name of Jesus. Man, it feels good in the house of the Lord tonight. You can be seated for just a few moments. Let me join in with what has already been said and give a great big welcome tonight to all of our guests that are in the house of the Lord with us. Would you help me one more time, Rock Church, put your hands together. Come on, help me make some crazy Holy Ghost noise. For all of our guests that are here tonight, we've got a handful of guests in the building. It is such an honor to have you here tonight in the house of the Lord. No greater place to be on a Tuesday night than at The Rock. Amen. And we're excited that you're here. To all those who have joined us online tonight, what a privilege to have you tuning in to what the Lord is doing right here in Fort Myers, Florida, on the banks of the Caloosahatchee River, downtown Fort Myers, the city of Palms, the epicenter of what God is doing in this area. Anybody just thankful for that tonight? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Favor isn't fair. And uh, we're just favored to be able to serve God in this capacity and in this place. How many of you were here Sunday and blessed by what God did in this place this weekend? My God, I'm telling you, Sunday morning, what an incredible move of God when we finished. There were five people baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, just like the Bible said. And uh, then Sunday morning, there was a young man in uh, our campus in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, that was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Sunday night, another young man was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And uh, God is doing some amazing things, and we are so grateful for that. And uh, we are just delighted, standing in expectation for the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. How many of you came hungry for the word of God tonight? Stand with me, if you would, all across this house. I want to hasten to the word of the Lord. The book of Romans, chapter number 7, is where you will find my assignment for tonight. The book of Romans, chapter number 7. And I want to reintroduce a series of teaching uh, to this house tonight that I believe is absolutely imperative to any Christian's walk with God. 
And uh, as the Lord continues to bless this church with unprecedented revival and growth, I mean, son, this past weekend, we broke Sunday school records. We broke Friday night youth records. I'm just telling you, this it is unbelievable what God is doing. Right in the midst of a pandemic. We declared it months ago, this was just going to be COVID revival. COVID can't stop the church of the living God. COVID can't stop the Holy Ghost. COVID can't stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. Silly rabbit tricks are for kids. And uh, as God continues to bless this church, uh, we will find it very necessary to visit over and over again familiar and common thematic principles of the Word of God that all brand new Christians and mature Christians have to re reacclimate and, and get them reintroduced into their, their thinking, into their spirit, and into their mind. And so I'm excited. I'm going to take probably the next several Tuesday nights that I'm preaching slash teaching to cover a series of these topics. And we are going to be talking, preaching, teaching, however it comes out, about the enemies of the soul. The enemies of the soul. How many of you understand that when you are born into the kingdom of God, that you're born into a battle? You're born into a battle that you did not know was already taking place, and it is a battle for the soul. Do you understand that hell stands in anticipation of the arrival of humanity in the pits of hell? One place the Bible describes it and says that she is licking her lips in anticipation. One verse says that hell hath enlarged herself. But I'm a gotta, I got a word for hell tonight. The church is going to win the race for revival. And so we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And we have to understand that there are forces, there are elements to this human experience that have intentionality of the destruction of our human soul. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. And uh, I want to go to the book of Romans chapter number seven. And while you're getting that, you'll remember that when Satan faced Jesus in the wilderness and he came against him and he was after the soul of Jesus Christ, he did not defeat the devil by pulling out his latest suit that he bought to wear on Sundays. He did not defeat the devil by grabbing a microphone and showing how, how good his vocal prowess was by singing. But there was one weapon he had that the enemy could not withstand, and that was the power of the Word of God. 
In one place, the Bible says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so tonight, we're going to arm ourselves in the word of the Lord. Amen. Romans chapter number 7, I want to begin reading at verse number 18. It says, for I know that in me, somebody say in me, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with this mind, or the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, bear with me for a moment. I'm going to let you be seated in just a moment, and I'm going to keep standing. But I want to reread this as you follow along in the King James again. I want to read it out of the New Living Translation because. Uh, this text can be a little poetic in its writing in the King James and sometimes a little difficult to follow. So follow along with me again. You read the King James. I'm going to read the New Living Translation. He said, verse 18, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I just can't seem to do it. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but it seems like I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, 
But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. There is an enemy of the soul that you cannot cast out. That you cannot just lay hands on it and pray it into bondage. And that is the human flesh. Your greatest enemy does not have a pitchfork and horns and a forked tail and named Satan. But your greatest enemy, the greatest threat to your soul is when you take a look in the mirror and you see that person looking back at you. Your flesh is the greatest threat to your soul. I call it the enemy in me. But thanks be to Jesus Christ that the power of the Holy Ghost gives us the ability to live above the law of sin and death. Amen. One more time, let's clap our hands and give God praise for his word tonight. Come on, let's thank God for his word tonight. Woo. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This verse or these series of verses in Romans chapter 7 are unique because they are written in a way that the Apostle Paul is not justifying or making excuse for sin. He is not removing personal responsibility from the actions of sin but rather he is trying to paint a picture for us of a particular dissonance that he is experiencing in his life. That there is a war that is going on between uh, the regenerated mind that he has having received the Holy Ghost. This mind of Christ that the Bible says, let this mind be in you uh, which was in Christ. There is a, 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 a dissociation between the mind of Christ uh, and the fact that he is still living uh, under the auspices uh, of this fleshly uh, human existence and that there is a war that takes place uh, in which he knows uh, what is right to do and he knows what the Bible says and he knows what he feels from the spirit of God in his life. However, he continues to deal with the disobedience of his flesh and its unwillingness to align itself with the principles of God's truth. In our context, and, and, and we're going to cover as much ground as we can tonight, but when we begin our walk with God, we soon begin to realize that something or someone is not happy about our born-again experience. Singly and collectively, there are forces that begin to attack our mind and begin to attack our body and, yes, even our soul. 
and our spirit. Uh, they are working together uh, in a concerted effort uh, to separate us uh, from the love of God. Satan's devices and his weapons are legion. They are regimented. They are organized. They are strategic in their efforts uh, to undermine uh, the redemption of the, the soul uh, of humanity. And he uses them uh, to defeat uh, and ultimately destroy uh, every person uh, that he can. And our purpose in these lessons uh, is not to give honor or somehow uh, enumerate the abilities of our enemy, uh, but rather it is to expose them uh, as exactly what they are, uh, that they are forces uh, that stand with the sole purpose uh, of us never uh, meeting our maker, uh, of us never spending eternity uh, in the presence of our creator. And when we begin to analyze, hear me somebody, when we begin to analyze our personal problems and trials and temptations, we will often find out that they stem from one or more of these three root causes. If you're taking notes, we're dealing with the first one tonight. And that is the flesh. You will find that there are many uh, issues and struggles uh, and challenges that we deal with uh, that you have to look no further uh, than your own flesh uh, as the enemy uh, of your soul. In our context tonight, the word flesh does not refer to the physical flesh of the human body, but rather the word flesh comes from the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X, which usually indicates human nature with its frailties and its passions. It encompasses things like carnality and being carnally minded. Read for me Romans chapter number 8, verse 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's good enough. If you look at that word carnal, the English word carnal, in its original Latin form, it, it is derived from the Latin word carnalis, carnalis. And there are many languages that derive their, their, their writing, their written language from Latin roots. Uh, for example, Spanish uh, has a Latin root and, and the word carnalis can be found in the words, the Spanish word carne, carne. Carne means meat or flesh. Carne asada. I thought that wakes somebody up right there. Chili con carne or carnitas. Flesh, carnal, it deals 
with the flesh, not the physical flesh of mankind, but it deals with the nature of mankind. Do you still have that up? Continue to read for me there. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. That word enmity simply means the enemy of. Point to your head and say, my carnal mind. Come on, some of y'all spiritual folks, that ain't, that, those aren't wings on the back of your back. Those are shoulder blades. Point to your mind and say, my carnal mind is the enemy of God. Read. For it is not subject to the law of God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Read. Neither can be. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So that they that are in the carnales, the flesh, the human nature, those that operate from a place of carnality cannot please God. Read. Or is that the end? You cannot be pleasing to God and your entire life operate from a basis of your human nature. Your human nature will lead you away from God. Your human nature will put you against God. Your human nature will deceive you into disobeying God. And if you're going to get a revelation of the enemy of your soul, the first thing you had better understand is that I am the most dangerous person in my life. If I ever give myself over to my own carnal thinking, I will self-destruct. If I ever turn myself over to my own ingenuity and my own desires, I will self-destruct. I will write my own one-way ticket straight to hell. To be carnally minded is death. To be in the flesh means to give it control. That means that there has to come a point in your walk with God where you develop the discipline and the revelation that you don't let yourself do what you want to do all the time. I know that is antithetical uh, to today's society uh, that says do what you want to do when you want to do it. Uh, If it feels good, do it. Uh, If you like it, go for it. Uh, I know that 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 is uh, the satisfying of the flesh. Uh, But you're going to have to develop uh, a point in your life uh, where you understand uh, I am not giving my flesh control. Uh, I am not taking counsel uh, of my own will. Uh, I am not relying uh, on my own intellect. Uh, I am not building my life uh, on human desire. When humanity fell in the Garden of Eden, the law of sin or the sin principle 
became a part of the human race. This corrupt, defiled, sinful nature is transmitted from parent to child through procreation. Humanity's bloodline not only carries and transmits physical death, but it also carries with it spiritual death. Are you with me tonight? We inherit from our father Adam our evil nature, which has a tendency towards sin. Nothing in this world can remove that nature from us as long as we live. The Adamic nature is a permanent part of every nationality and passes from generation to generation. God does not take away human desires and feelings and tendencies when we obey the gospel message. Come on, I want to say that again because too many times uh, Christianity is propagated as something that when you uh, obey the gospel message that, that you get up from an altar and all of a sudden uh, all of your problems are gone and you no longer have to deal with issues. Uh, no, can I just tell you uh, that it is at that moment uh, that you are now born under the second man, Adam. Uh, and now there is a fight uh, between the first man Adam uh, and the last man Adam in your life uh, when you obey the gospel message uh, it is not the end of the fight uh, it is just uh, the beginning <laughs> and so our soul is redeemed and saved but our body is not yet redeemed and we will struggle with this sinful human nature. The Bible tells us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is that treasure? That treasure is the gospel message. That treasure is the kingdom of heaven that the parable says that when the man found the treasure in the field that he sold everything he had and he bought the field uh, so that he could have the treasure. Uh, this truth, uh, this Holy Ghost experience, uh, this born again experience uh, is a treasure. Uh, this connection uh, to the eternal uh, and the heavenlies uh, is a treasure. Uh, this revelation of truth uh, is a treasure. Uh, this understanding uh, of this book uh, that is the final arbiter of truth uh, is a treasure. Uh, but we have this treasure uh, and it is carried uh, within an earthen uh, vessel. Uh, it is transported uh, in all of its truth, uh, in all of its purity, uh, in all of its revelation. Uh, it is carried uh, under the auspices uh, of a compromised uh, DNA uh, and a uh, wicked fleshly nature. Read for me 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It is not until uh, we received 
a redeemed body uh, when Jesus catches away uh, his church uh, that we will be freed uh, from the mortal struggles uh, of this human body. Uh, and let me just stop here long enough uh, to debunk one popular uh, false doctrine in this world uh, that says that there is not going to be uh, a second return of Christ uh, or a rapture of the church. Uh, the heresy known uh, as praetorism. Uh, I came to declare to you uh, that my Bible tells me uh, that one day uh, he's going to part the eastern skies uh, and he's going to descend uh, with the voice, uh, with the sound of a trumpet uh, and he's coming back uh, for his uh, people. Read for me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Don't be ignorant, brethren. Read. Concerning them which are asleep, Woo. that ye sorrow not. Uh-huh. Even as others which have no hope. Yeah. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, uh -huh. even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You hearing what he's saying? Uh, if you believe in the resurrection uh, of Jesus, uh, then you understand the power uh, of that resurrection uh, that is innate within uh, every Holy Ghost uh, believer. Read. For this we say unto you uh -huh. by the word of the Lord, that we which are which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Uh -huh. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With a shout, with, yeah. With the voice of the archangel uh -huh. and with the trump of God. Yeah. And the dead in Christ shall rise and first. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. I don't care who tells you that there is no resurrection. My Bible tells me that he's going to come back with a shout, and when he does, the dead in Christ shall rise first. I don't care if your body was cremated and your ashes were spread all over the ocean waters. In that moment, when he comes back, every molecule, every cell, every bit of your body is going to come together, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Eyes first read. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Then we which are alive and remain. Oh my God. Somebody all get excited about that. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Oh, I can't wait till that day. You're going to be driving down the road and all of a sudden the car is going to go off the road uh, and you're going to look over and nobody will be in it. Uh, the Bible said two will be standing uh, at the millstone. Uh, one will be taken and one will be left. Uh, uh, we're going to be caught up together uh, to meet the Lord uh, in uh, the air. Read. To meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be uh, with uh, the Lord. You hear me. Uh, we might be struggling with our flesh now, but if we'll stay faithful to God, if we'll stay true, if we'll stay committed, there's coming a day when we're going to take dominion over this corrupt flesh. We're going to take dominion over this fallen nature, and we will be resurrected with him.
What does the next verse say? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Not only is this a true doctrine, but he said you ought to encourage each other with these words. You ought to comfort one another. Hey, it's not going to be long, brother. God's going to get us out of this mess. Hey, it's not going to be long, sister. God's going to see the reason some of us can't shout is we're building our whole life for everything that's down here. But can I tell you uh, that your house uh, isn't going to matter to you. Uh, Your cars uh, are not going to matter to you. Uh, Nothing uh, in this earth uh, will you be able to take with you. Uh, So I dare you uh, to just make up your mind. Uh, I'm going to lay up for myself uh, some treasure uh, in heaven uh, where neither moth uh, nor dust uh, doth corrupt it. So I tell people who are struggling with some idea that I can't live for God because that means I got to give up this or I got to give up that. See, I'm going to mess up just supposed to be teaching. Let me first of all set the record straight in case you were wondering. I didn't have to give up anything to live for God. I was delivered of a whole lot of things. I didn't have to give up the cigarettes. Uh, The cigarettes had a hold of me. Uh, I was in bondage to nicotine. I didn't have to give them up. Uh, But when God filled me with the Holy Ghost, uh, he broke the chains uh, that they had over my life. Uh, I didn't have to give up the alcohol. Uh, God broke the chains uh, and set me free. Uh, I didn't give up anything uh, to live for God. I didn't give up anything. And secondly, my dear brother and sister, whatever it is that you don't want to let go of, you ain't taking it with you to go to to hell. You're going to have to let it go to go to hell. Oh, see, we don't like shouting about that uh, because our fake uh, little soft, uh, weak church world uh, wants to try to deceive everybody into thinking uh, that ain't nobody. uh, All dogs go to heaven. Everybody goes, uh, you better hear me good. Uh, You're not going to go to hell uh, with the enjoyment of sin. Uh, You're not going to go to hell uh, with the indulgences of this world. You're going to give it up to go to hell. Uh, And if you got to give it up to go to hell, uh, why don't you just give it up right now uh, in exchange? change for heaven. Uh, Why don't you just give it up right now uh, and put it on an altar uh, for a mansion in the sky. Uh, If you gotta give it up when you die, uh, you might as well lay it down uh, right now. Uh, There's nothing in this world uh, worth keeping me uh, from making it to heaven. Uh, There's no pleasure. The pleasure of sin uh, is only for a season. I'm going to give it up to go to hell. I might as well lay it down right now and just go ahead and plan on heaven. I just feel like preaching to somebody in the building. Hell wasn't designed for you. 
God didn't design hell for you. He designed it for Satan and his imps. If you go to hell, it's against the will of God. If you go to hell, it's going to be with the forgiveness of God. If you go to hell, it's going to be with the love of God. You better just call hell up and cancel your reservation and let hell know I'm not coming. I'm not coming to hell over a cigarette, a bottle of beer, a one-night stand. I'm not going to hell over dirty money. I'm not going to hell over a dumb lie. You might as well cancel my reservation. I'm making plans right now. Let me just preach to somebody. Keep fighting the good faith. Keep resisting your flesh. Keep coming to the altar. Keep praying through. God's going to bring you out. God's going to bring you over. God's going to strengthen you. God's going to bring... Tell hell I'm not coming. Send a text message, send an email, shoot hell a DM on their IG and let the devil know I'm not coming. I'm making plans for that meeting in the sky. I'm making plans to get up out of here when the trumpet sounds. (laughs) Okay, calm down. It's Bible study tonight. Calm down, it's supposed to be Bible study tonight. You better just tell the enemies of my soul that it's war, baby. It's do or die. I've crossed, I've drawn a line in the sand. I'm not going back. I'm not turning around. I'm not falling for that trick again. I'm not too, come on somebody. Read Romans chapter 8, verse number 10 through 11. And if Christ be in you. If Christ be in you. Now what does that mean? Because our church world preaches a false doctrine that somehow there is this idea of inviting the Lord into your heart. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just tired of preachers behind pulpits telling fairy tale stories instead of preaching the book. There's not a verse of scripture anywhere in that Bible uh, that says you invite him uh, into your heart. Uh, When it says, if Christ be in you, there's only one way that happens. In describing the Holy Ghost, uh, Jesus said, I am with you, uh, but I shall uh, be in you. Uh, Oh, uh, hallelujah. I feel like shouting tonight. uh, He's the Father above us. He is the Son with us, and He is the Holy Ghost in us. Christ in you is when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? I'm so far off my Bible study tonight. You understand in the Old Testament tabernacle that the way they knew the presence of God was there. The Bible said that it was a pillar of fire by night and it was a cloud by day. It was so important that when that fire or that pillar began to move, they would pack up the whole tabernacle and they moved wherever the Spirit of the Lord was moving because it represented God's presence. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 1, that presence of God uh, that left the tabernacle uh, and for 400 years uh, there was no uh, indication of his presence uh, when it showed back up uh, in Acts chapter number 2 uh, that pillar of fire uh, did not set over a tent uh, but it set over a man uh, Acts chapter 2 says uh, and when the day of Pentecost uh, was fully come uh, they were all with one accord uh, and in one place uh, and suddenly uh, there came a sound uh, from heaven uh, as of a rushing mighty wind. Uh, uh, come on, do you know it? Uh, put it up there for all of our new converts. Uh, there came a sound from heaven uh, as of a rushing mighty wind uh, and it filled all the house uh, where they were sitting uh, and there appeared unto them uh, cloven tongues uh, like as uh, a fire uh, and it sat uh, upon uh, each of them. Uh, what was that fire indicating? Uh, that my presence uh, used to dwell in a tent, uh, but now my spirit uh, will be in uh, you, uh, Christ uh, in you. You don't get Christ in you by inviting him into your heart. That's not even biblical language. You get Christ in you when you receive the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay, back to the subject. Romans chapter 8, let's try it again. Verses 10 through 11. We ain't never going to get done tonight. Verse 10 through 11. And if Christ be in you. That's where we were, yeah. The body is dead because of sin. Uh-huh. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Yes. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Yes. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That word quicken means to make uh, alive. There is coming a day uh, when the Holy Ghost in you, uh, the same spirit that raised Jesus uh, from the dead, uh, shall also quicken uh, or make alive your uh, mortal bodies. And it will be at that moment, it will be at that point, then and only then will we be free from the flesh or sinful nature as we know it. And so then we must understand that until that day comes, we must contend against our flesh. We must war against the enemy. Enemy, come on somebody. I know we like to take care of our flesh. We like to feed it what it wants. We like to give it everything it desires. But there comes a point in your walk with God where you have to recognize your flesh for what it is. And you have to declare war on the enemy in me. 
Are you with me tonight? You ain't supposed to sweat in Bible study like this. And so the Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians chapter number 5, he begins to delineate and define for us what some of the characteristics of the works of the flesh are. How do I identify in my life when my flesh is at work? How do I identify when my carnal nature is working against God in my life? He begins Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 and we don't have time to do this in depth tonight but briefly we are going to cover these points that the Apostle Paul enumerates for us concerning the works of the flesh. Read for me Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these. Tell your neighbor the works of the flesh are these. Adultery. If you're taking notes, write it down. The first thing listed as a work of the flesh is adultery. Now what is adultery? In its most simple definition, we understand adultery as any type of an intimate relationship uh, that happens uh, outside of the confines uh, of a marriage union. A married man or a married woman involved intimately outside of that relationship. That is a work of the flesh. It is against the nature and the will of God. Why? Because a union of a man and a wife represents God and his love for his church. And when adultery takes place, it distorts the God example of the marriage union. If you study the word adultery, there there is a verb version of the word. To adulterate something means when you have something in a pure form and you bring a foreign substance and put it into that pure mixture It now pollutes the purity. And the word we use is that it has become adulterated. And when you are in a marriage covenant uh, and you go outside of that marriage union uh, and you bring a foreign substance uh, into that union, you adulterate uh, what God had put together. Adultery is a work of the flesh. And you want to know what I found out about the work of the flesh? And I'm going to bring it out here because this is where I've been preaching since I was 15 years old. And I'm still 39 and a half, 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 half. I've been preaching almost 30 years. I've been living for God long enough and leading and pastoring long enough to pick up on some patterns of the works of the flesh as a pastor when you're dealing with people. And one of the common things I find as a description and a part of adultery and the works of the flesh in general, but adultery specifically, is it is a sin of projection. The guilty party almost always projects the sin onto the innocent party. 
I'm just going to leave that right there. Adultery is a work of the flesh. Read. Fornication. Fornication is a work of the flesh. What is fornication? Fornication is sexual activity uh, or intimacy that takes place outside of the commitments uh, of marriage. Intimacy between two people is designed by God as a consummation of a promise, a sacred vow between two people and their God. Can I just stop here for a moment? I'm, I'm going to teach some things we don't talk about very often. Why? Because it's Bible study. That's why when people get married, we don't, I don't use wedding rings in a wedding ceremony because a wedding ring is not a symbol of marriage. I don't have time to get into all of that. Matter of fact, if you got a, a ring on it, it becomes that much more of a fun challenge for people nowadays. <laughs> but the real symbol of marriage, you understand that every time God made a covenant, there was a sign of the covenant. You can go all the way back to the very first covenant God makes with mankind after he floods the earth with water. He makes a covenant with Noah that he would never do it again. And the sign of the covenant is that he put a bow in the sky so that every time mankind saw the rainbow, I'm sorry, LGBTQSFLMNOP, that's not your symbol. That's a satanic distortion of a God symbol. That was a symbol from God. It was a reminder of the covenant that he made with man. That every time you see that, you'll remember that I vowed to you I would never destroy the earth with water again. Consequently, we, you could study covenants in the Bible. There's always a sign of the covenant. Well, in the marriage vow, there is also a covenant, a blood covenant. Now I'm going to speak at a level that the littles might go home and say, what did he mean by that, Daddy? In the order of God, a marriage happens between two people who have reserved their intimacy for their husband or their wife. And when that takes place, biologically, a female is designed in such a way that when the consummation of that marriage takes place, it is a blood covenant. And it is that covenant that happens between a man and a woman where the two become one. It is not just something spiritual. It is physiologically designed that the two become one. And there is a covenant that happens in that marriage bed that is undefiled before God. And so every time a married couple is intimate that is the sign of the covenant. That is the reminder of the vow that we made for, before God. Uh, that, that what God hath put together, uh, let no man uh, put asunder. And adultery adulterates 
that pure vow between two people and their God. You see, when you commit adultery, it doesn't just involve you and your spouse. You've got God involved in this thing. You're not just messing up a vow between you and your spouse, but you are defiling a vow that you made before God. Fornication happens outside of holy matrimony. One, by, one verse in the Bible says that every other sin is outside the body, but fornication is against the body. I don't have time to give a biblical exegesis on every one of these. Read for me. Uncleanness. Uncleanness is a work of the flesh. Now, some of y'all leaning over to your neighbor going. <laughs> like the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness. That ain't in the Bible. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. But it should be. But it should be. But it should be. Aren't you glad you used dial? Don't you wish everybody did? But uncleanliness deals with other acts of the flesh that may not fall under the categories of adultery and fornication, but they are, they are dirty. They are unclean. They are pollutants to the purity of our walk and our relationship with God. Read for me. Lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is a work of the flesh. What is lasciviousness? Lasciviousness is simply uncontrolled lust or desire. Now the moment we say that and we use the word lust, we automatically sexualize that term. But lust doesn't just have to do with sexual desire. Lust has to do with anything your flesh desires. People lust after money. People lust after power. People lust after things. They begin to covet and lust after things. Lust has to do with the idea and the, the control of your flesh that says, I want what I want, and I don't care what anybody or anything says or cares about it. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to fulfill my desire. If it's wrong, it doesn't matter. If it's offensive, it doesn't matter. If it's against better judgment, it doesn't matter. If I have to be disobedient to do it, it doesn't matter. It's my desire. It's what I want. And I'm going to have what I, that's lasciviousness. That is a work of the flesh. You cannot please God. Operating in lasciviousness. In one place, the Bible says that they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Because the judgment of God isn't executed on some of the decisions. They use it as an excuse to just keep doing what they want to do. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Ain't that something? I asked a kid before, you know that's wrong. Why you keep doing it? Because I ain't got a whipping for it yet. Why do we wait 
for that to happen? Why do we turn the grace of God into lasciviousness? Why do we turn God's long-suffering and his forbearance into some false feeling of security that I must be okay? Even though I know this is wrong, I must be all right. There ain't no, I ain't seen no lightning strikes from heaven. My life hasn't fallen apart yet. I haven't lost it. Everything seems. You're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And in one place, the Bible says, because the judgment of God is not executed speedily, it is continually within the heart of man to do wicked. Lasciviousness is a work of the flesh. Read. Idolatry. Idolatry is a work of the flesh. Now, let me preach here for a moment because when we say idolatry, that we, we, we relegate that to a golden calf and bowing down at some image or worshiping some false god. But if that is your only understanding of idolatry, then you have a very narrow revelation because idolatry is anything you exalt above God in your life. In one place, the Bible says that stubbornness is as idolatry. When you exalt your will and your stubbornness above the will of God, that becomes idolatry. You become your own God in your life. I've exalted. There's too many people in the kingdom of God that think that stubbornness is a good quality and they'll brag about how stubborn they are about things and how if you've got stubbornness at work in your life. It is an enemy of your soul because you have exalted your will above the will and the voice and the intention and the law of God. Stubbornness is as idolatry and rebellion, it goes on to say, is as the sin of witchcraft. What's the context of that verse? It was when God finally told the, the prophet Samuel, you go down there and tell Saul that I'm through with him. He refuses to listen to my voice. He refuses to do things according to my protocol. Man of God came and said, what's this I hear all this? Oh, well, uh, I know that you were supposed to come and do the sacrifice, but, but I know how you do it. And I, I, got enough, I got enough brains in my own head, man of God. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. You ain't got to tell me what to do. I don't have to listen to protocols. Protocols? I'm just going to do what I want to do. God got sick and tired of it. And he finally told the man of God, you get down there. He said, you quit mourning for Saul. You quit crying. You get down there and tell Saul that I have rejected him as king because he is living in idolatry. He is exalted. You can't talk to him. You can't. He won't receive instruction. He won't receive correction. He won't be submitted to God's word, to God's authority. He's on his own page. Stubbornness is as idolatry. That's what the man of God told Saul. He said stubbornness is as idolatry. And the first cousin is rebellion. 
They're interconnected. Where you find stubbornness, you're going to find rebellion. And rebellion, he said, is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, we do the same thing with witchcraft that we do with, with idolatry. When we say the word witchcraft, we think of cauldrons and green potions, lizards and snails and puppy dog tails, incantations. But witchcraft is simply a spirit of manipulation. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You want to know what rebellion produces? It produces a mindset where, where you begin to manipulate everything around you so that your own will can be accomplished. You begin to manipulate all the stuff around it to, to try and make it look like you're right with God. That's what Saul, even after the man of God came to him and said, God has rejected you. He said, okay, I, I repent. I'm sorry. Will you just walk out with me in front of all the people so they don't think there's anything wrong with me? Spirit of witchcraft, manipulation. I'm going to try to make people think something is a certain way that it really isn't. That is a work of the flesh. When you find yourself trying to manipulate things and manipulate people's perceptions and you're going around and you're, you're, your driving force is my desire, my will, the stubbornness of your heart. That is an enemy of your soul. It is a work of the flesh. I wish I had a church tonight. Woo! I hope some of y'all came ready tonight. I ain't giving you lucky charms and milk. I'm not the candy man tonight. This ain't the ice cream truck. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And the next manifestation of stubbornness and rebellion is deception. David pondered. Saul was a giant in his eyes. He was a hero. But later on, David would write, how are the mighty fallen? How did somebody who was such a giant in the church end up where they're at now. Stubbornness and rebellion. That's the answer, David, to how the mighty are fallen. You find just a few verses later, Saul sitting in the house of the witch of Endor. And he is deceived into thinking that the voice of a demon is the voice of of the man of God. Because when you reject the authentic authority of God's man in your life, you will subjugate yourself to the deceptive voice that will mimic and imitate the real voice of God's man in your life. It's a work of the flesh designed to take you to hell. Read. Witchcraft. We covered that pretty good. Hatred. Hatred is a work of the flesh. If you're a Holy Ghost filled saint of God, the words should never leave your mouth. I hate them. 
if that word is coming out of your mouth uh, or it's in your spirit, uh, it's a work of the flesh. Uh, it's an enemy uh, of your soul. Uh, you cannot make it uh, into heaven uh, with hate uh, in your heart. Oh, I'm preaching real good. Uh, I don't care how long you've been coming to church. Uh, if you've got hate in your heart, uh, you had better find an altar uh, and surrender yourself to God uh, until you pray uh, the hatred uh, out of your spirit. You can't counsel hatred out of somebody's heart. You can't cast hatred out of somebody. They've got to bring that thing to the altar uh, and crucify it uh, themselves. Hatred is a work of the flesh. Read. Variance. Variance. What is variance? Variance is strife or discord can't get along with anybody always at odds with people constantly in conflict in relationships that's variance it's a work of the flesh the flesh is always contrary to God and the spirit of life the Spirit of God brings us together. The Tower of Babel, sin of man caused them to be separated and his language was dispersed. And when the Holy Ghost came, God brought them back together under one language. In one accord. The Holy Ghost always brings together. The Holy Ghost always reconciles. The Holy Ghost is always trying, but the work of the flesh, variance, is always in opposition, always causing tumultuous situations, always difficult. Everybody knows that one person. You might know five or six or ten or twelve. It's just hard to get along with. It's variance. And if you don't know that person, you're probably that person. And if you think you know that person, you just might be that person. Variance is a work of the flesh. Read for me. Emulations. Emulations. Emulation is a manifestation of envy. where I become so envious that I begin to try to, I can't be satisfied with who I am in God. You find this a lot in insecure people. People who are dealing with faithlessness in their life for what God wants to do. And so when they see God doing something for somebody else, they have a difficult time. And they'll criticize the thing that God is doing. And it's not that they're upset about that. They're really upset that it's not them. <laughs> You're not mad because they got a new car. You're just mad because it wasn't you that got the new car. 
And that secretly there's a desire in you that wishes you had what they had, that you could live the life that they're living. Emulations, it's where we get the word to emulate somebody. It's a work of the flesh. Read. Wrath. Wrath is a work of the flesh. Now we often confuse wrath with anger. But wrath is a manifestation of wrong anger. Or in some cases righteous anger. How many of you know that anger is a communicable attribute of God? God gets angry at things. Go read your Bible. How many times the Bible says the Lord became angry? There's some things that ought to make you angry. <laughs> and it's not your brother and your sister. There ought to be some things that you get angry about. I get angry when I see the enemy at work in people's lives. I get angry uh, when I see, come on somebody, uh, there ought to be some things that you get angry about. But the Bible says be angry and sin not. Wrath is when that anger turns into action. And you carry out the action of that anger. And it comes out in uncontrolled words, expressions against people. And sometimes it goes beyond words and it becomes physical. And we are introduced to physical abuse because of the wrath of man. It is a work of the flesh. You read? Strife. Strife is a work of the flesh. Y'all good? It's 9.03 if you're taking medicine. All right, it's 9.03 if you're taking medicine. We ain't even been in church two hours. Strife is a work of the flesh. What is strife? Strife is always creating dissension over issues. It's a spirit of disagreement. When you're on the Supreme Court... And you disagree with something, you write a dissent. It's your case for why you don't agree. But strife is dissension in the church. It's when something in your flesh is just, it's, it's not agreeable. I don't agree with how they do that. I don't agree with pastor there. I don't agree with, with, with sister so-and-so. I don't agree with this person. When, when you find yourself just disagreeing with everything, there, there is a work of strife that is being manifest in your life. And strife is an enemy of your soul. I'm in the book tonight, y'all. I said I'm in the book. You shout over Acts 2.38. You better get this in your spirit as well. Strife. Creating dissension over issues. What's, what's next? Read for me. Seditions. Seditions. This, this is speech that is designed to incite people to rebel. That's, that's what sedition is. It's when your conversation is promoting rebellion in other people. You ain't got to do what they told you. 
that's not really how it, that's, that's what Satan was doing in the Garden of Eden. His conversation with Eve was sedition. Is that what they said? I don't agree, dissension. You ain't got to do it. Sedition. You don't take I know. I know that's what they said, but trust me, it's not like that everywhere, Eve. That's not really how it is. That's sedition. That's a work of the flesh. That's the spirit of Absalom. Absalom had the idea that his daddy didn't know what he was doing running the kingdom. That he knew better than his daddy on how to run the kingdom. If I was king, that was Absalom's mantra. And so he created sedition. He went on his own little personal tour to all the saints of God's house. Sitting down at dinner tables with him to talk about how he would do things different. Sedition. He went on a, a sedition campaign sitting at restaurant tables devouring Devouring King David's authority. Inciting rebellion and disobedience among the... You ain't got to do what they say. Do, do your own thing. Do you. If you want a good Bible lesson, you go study Absalom and then you go study Shimei. Shimei was the friend of Absalom, Brother Pack. And Shimei was one... He was like a new convert. You know, sometimes new converts come into the church and God's working in their life and a spirit of Absalom tries to come and get a hold of them. A spirit of rebellion and sedition like Absalom comes and starts to try to influence their thinking. <laughs> and, and they're trying to get their legs under them and become what God wants them to be. And instead of there just being a pure influence of Holy Ghost-filled people, the enemy will bring people full of sedition and full of dissension who will begin to speak to them. And those people don't even realize they're in danger of hellfire because Jesus said it would have been better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and for you to be cast in the sea than for you to offend one of these little ones. One of these babes in Christ uh, that, that, that's trying to get their legs under them and become uh, a disciple. And they're trying to get, and while they're in an infant vulnerable state, uh, you, your spirit of rebellion and sedition uh, is coming to speak uh, life, uh, speak things over them that wants to suck uh, the life. Uh, the devil is uh, a liar. It's a work of the flesh. You go study Shimei. Shimei got caught up in Absalom's rebellion. Don't get caught up in other people's trouble. Don't get wrapped up in other people's drama. You let them find a place of repentance and get it right with God. When people are full of rebellion and sedition and dissension, you're never going to get the story the right way. You're never going to get the truth. Shimei I got wrapped up in Absalom's case. It wasn't even his fight. But he made friends with the wrong person. And his friendship with Absalom corrupted him. The Bible says that when you have the wrong friends, it'll corrupt good character. And so Shimei I got caught up. And God brought judgment to Absalom. 
Absalom was running one day and got caught up in a thicket that tore his head almost off of his shoulders. And at that moment, Shimei got a revelation. I've been headed down the wrong path. And Shimei went back to the king and said, I'm sorry. I got involved. You know what they were doing? The, the man of God would come and they would stand across the river throwing rocks. Casting stones. Sedition. Voices that want to incite disobedience and disunity and rebellion. It's a work of the flesh. It's an enemy of your soul. Read. Heresies. Heresies. What are heresies? On their face, heresies are false doctrines and false ideologies that contradict the word of God. Heresies are a work of the flesh. But you know what else the Bible says about heresies? The Bible says that heresies must come so that that which is approved may be made manifest. Sometimes God allows heresy to come through a church so God can pick out the weeds from the real thing. Because that which is approved uh, is not going to fall in line uh, with the spirit of deception. Uh, real Christianity, uh, real Holy Ghost, uh, real commitment to God, uh, real love of truth, uh, real commitment to the Word of God uh, will not get swept up uh, in heresy. Uh, God said there's times I'm going to let heresy come so that I can separate the goats uh, from the sheep. Uh, I'm going to separate the wheat uh, from the tear. Uh, I'm going to, come on somebody. Heresy is a work of the flesh. In one place, I think in the book of Matthew, Jesus said that the stumbling block must come, but woe be unto him who is that stumbling block. Heresies. Read. Envyings. Envyings. Envy. I have to deal with this sometimes in leadership. Because God puts something on the inside of God-called leaders. A desire to be what God's called them to be. They should have it. you got to have it. If you're going to be a leader, you got to know who you are. There's got to be a level. But, but if, you're not, if you're not operating in the Holy Ghost and you become carnal, instead of having a godly passion or a godly ambition... It turns into envy. And then there becomes quarrels amongst people who are vying for positions of authority and influence in a church. Envious. Jesus, just in case y'all thought, well, man, I don't want to go to church that has any of that going on. Shut up. Read your Bible. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to. I'm sorry, honey. My wife's going to kill me when I get home. Some of y'all need to just read your Bible and quit being ignorant. Jesus, who was the best leader that ever existed and who picked the 12 founding disciples of the kingdom, had to deal with this in his leaders. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? No, I want to be there. Can I sit next to him? What about... What about Chill out, dude. God's got it. 
God's got enough power to knock leaders down and, and bring them to a place where they've got to humble themselves. That's not your job. That's God's job. Touch not mine anointed. Oh, Y'all ain't ready for that Bible study tonight. God's glory. I, say, I, I, I want to keep going here, but, but, but God's glory rests on the shoulder of men. He designed the ark to be carried on the shoulders of men. David, don't try to put it on an ox. God's glory is designed to be here. And guess what? The, the, that man's going to make, he's going to stumble every once in a while. He's going to be, that's how God designed it. Just always remember, you stay under the glory and never try to rise above it. Anyway, envyings. Read. Murderers. Murderers. Murder. We right away think. But the Bible says that the word killeth and that life and death are in the power of the tongue. You may never pull out a knife on somebody, but you can assassinate people's character with how we speak about one another. In one place, he talks about people biting and devouring one another with their words. You've got a spirit of murder in your, in your heart. That's a work of the flesh. When your intention is to kill somebody's reputation, you've got a spirit of murder in you. When, you're, when, you're, when your ideology and your goal is to, I'm going to ruin them, I'm going to undo them, I'm gonna, you've got a spirit of murder in you. Woo. Somebody said, please go to the next point, Bishop. I'm trying to hurry. Murder, read. Drunkenness. Drunkenness. That's not just alcohol. Bible says, be not filled with strong drink wherein is ex excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Drunkenness can be an overconsumption of many things. You can be drunk on the accolades of people. that cause you to lose and impair your judgment. I don't have time to preach all of that, but drunkenness is a work of the flesh. Read. Revelings. Revelings. What is revelings? Revelings is when not only are you doing these things, but you're taking pleasure. You, you get a sense of satisfaction watching it happen. Serves them right. They had it coming. I knew that was going to take place. Well, they should have. That's revelings. The, it's the antithesis of meekness, which is one of the Beatitudes, part of the fruits of the Spirit. Meekness watches judgment fall and says, oh, God, have mercy on them. Revelings says, oh, do it again, Lord. Give them another. Do it again, God. Teach them a good lesson. And when you get to the end, Paul closes this list with a catch-all phrase. And he says this, read. And such like. And such like. 
There's too many to enumerate in complete detail. But these categorically begin to describe for us the things that we had better be watching out for in our own life. I'm not preaching about your sister. I'm not preaching about your brother. I'm preaching about you, and I'm preaching about me. If we're going to make it to heaven, we had better understand that our flesh is an enemy of our soul. And if I am carnally minded, if I'm allowing these things to dictate my life, and I'm allowing these things to control how I'm living, my soul is in jeopardy. The enemy, enemy. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here are some facts concerning the flesh. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Read Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Flesh is weak. This was the dichotomy that Paul was trying to describe for us in Romans chapter 7. The spirit is willing. I want to do what's right. I know what the Bible says, but the flesh is weak. A better way to say it is that I am vulnerable to my flesh. And how do you overcome? What did he say in the first part of that verse? Watch and pray. There's only one answer to your flesh. You got to get on your knees and you have to pray it through. Don't tell me how much you're praying when the fruit of your life does not reveal a prayer life. Your prayer is no better than the Pharisees in the public square. If when you get up from your knees, you're still full of envy and divisiveness and sedition and dissension and all of these things, you had better get back on your knees and refine and rediscover your true prayer life. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. The second fact about the flesh is that the will of the flesh is different and in opposition from the will of God. Read John chapter 1, verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The flesh is full of self-justification. The flesh is a master at justifying itself. The flesh has many lusts. Read Galatians 5 and 16. We skipped a verse. Read Galatians 5, 16. We'll go back to John 6, 16. 63. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you keep from fulfilling the lust of the flesh? You walk in the spirit. I know that doesn't make us want to shout and jump and clap amen, but it's that simple. 
If you're walking in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. When people are operating carnally, I know they are not walking in the spirit. Read Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Look at how he testifies an understanding and a revelation. This is how I used to operate. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Don't return to the thing that God has delivered you from. Don't return to the same kind of thinking that, that you were raised in, uh, that, that your sinful environment uh, brought you up. Don't return uh, to the, the, the ideologies of lust uh, and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, whereby we were children of wrath. Read for me 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Fleshly lusts war against the soul. It is the enemy of your soul. We are to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. Music, come, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. We are to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. There is a regiment of cleansing. How many of you take a bath once a month? Why not? How many of you take a bath once a week? Don't rat out your kids. How many of you take a bath every day? Congratulations. Why? Because somebody be like twice a day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Devil ain't going to catch me slipping. <laughs> because we understand that our, our fleshly body is an attractor to filth. It's an attractor to stench. And it requires a maintenance of cleansing. And if we understand that about our physical flesh, we ought to understand that about the supernatural flesh. Without a routine of cleansing, uh, your mind automatically is a collector uh, of thoughts uh, that are carnal. Uh, your, 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 your carnal man uh, is an automatic attractor uh, to things that are pollutants uh, to the work of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and the only way uh, you can overcome it uh, is there has to be a cleansing uh, ritual uh, that happens uh, over. That's what your prayer life is. Uh, every time you pray... Uh, until you pray uh, through. Uh, that's why I get worried when I go too long uh, without tears rolling down my face uh, because it's a natural indicator uh, that there is a purging. Uh, there is a cleansing in my spirit uh, that is happening. Uh, there has to be a cleansing uh, of the filthiness uh, of the flesh. Read for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 
Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves. It's not the duty of anybody else to clean you. It's not your pastor's job to clean up your carnality. Quit blaming the preacher. Quit blaming your brother or your sister. It's not their job. If you're going to have a clean spirit, uh, it's going to be because you uh, go to the brazen. You know the brazen labor uh, was right by the altar for a reason. Uh, it was part uh, of the entrance into the holiest of holies. Uh, you had to wash. Uh, you had to clean. Uh, nobody can clean you uh, for you. Uh, you've got to bring yourself uh, before the throne of God. Uh, you've got to make friends with an altar. Uh, you've got to humble yourself uh, before God uh, and cleanse uh, your Yourself. Write this down. The flesh is not to be trusted. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. Read. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh. What he, is, what he is saying is even when I think I have a good reason, I should not trust my flesh. I'm hurrying. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. It's the law of harvest, Galatians 6 and 8. Read. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You cannot sow according to your carnal nature and expect to reap spiritual blessings. If you wonder why you're confused and you're depressed and you're angry and you're bitter and all, then you need to go back and look at what you've been sowing. The flesh produces many sins. Read Colossians 2 and 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The flesh stains our garment of righteousness. Read Jude chapter or verse 23. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh garment was spotted by the flesh and finally we are not to lean on the flesh Jeremiah 17 and 5 as we all stand thus saith the Lord cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord we set ourselves up for failure in our walk with God, when we construct and build our life on a foundation of our own flesh and understanding, when we begin to operate from a basis of just human desire, we set ourselves up for a fall. And I know this is a Bible study tonight. We're going to pick up on the next Tuesday night that I teach and preach. And we're going to continue this series about 
the enemy of the soul. But I wonder if there's anybody, I just feel in the Holy Ghost that God's been talking to some people tonight about some things. I wonder if if, if nobody looking around, if you would just step out of your seat and you feel like, God, I, I, need to, I need to talk to you about some things for a few moments tonight, God. Your word has confronted me about some things in my life tonight. And Lord, I, I, I've got to come to an altar and, and, and cleanse myself. I've I got to wash my hands of some things that, that have been going on in my life tonight. Would you just lift up your hands as we spend a few moments tonight? We're, we're about to be dismissed in a few minutes. But I wonder if for the next few moments somebody would just begin to lift up your hands and talk to God tonight. If you would begin to just lift up your voice. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. I know it's Tuesday night. You've got to work in the morning, but the Holy Ghost is talking to us tonight. The Holy Ghost is dealing with us tonight about some things in our spirit. Come on. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's cleanse ourselves. Come on, God, I, I've got some things. To, there's some evidence in my life of some of these things that, Lord, I can't keep on walking down this road. I can't keep on living this way, God. I gotta, I've got to get it right with you tonight, Jesus. Come on. Come on, this is between you and God tonight. This is between you and God tonight. This is between you and God tonight. Come on now. Come on, lift your voice to him. Fill me Come on. with your goodness. Fill me with your goodness. Your love that has no limits. Lord, I want to be. Fill me with your spirit.